Dotnet Rocks, episode 1070, with guest Julie Lerman. Recorded Tuesday, November 25th, 2014. Twelve years and Toy Boy still sounds fresh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know that it's almost dangerous to update it. I know you've done a couple other versions of that song. Well, we tried. We we almost did, but we never really did. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's got a. I, th- I think it's time. Isn't that isn't, isn't that version got Chip Franklin as the drummer? Yeah, Chip Franklin. We gave him drum credits. <laughs> Chip Franklin. Chip Franklin. Hey, yeah. Speaking of my music, you know the music to code by Kickstarter that I did, and yeah, I've got uh, one of the pieces just about done. And uh, I've been sharing that with the Kickstarter contributors, right? Yes. So the backers, uh, I've been sharing. Yeah, I've been sharing the MP3s and WAV files so people can actually test them out. And uh, you know, it's the agile music methodology, right? And I get you know comments from everybody, and I got this one comment uh, today from Stephen Barnett, and he said, "Well, I started work this morning with almost zero motivation for a complicated task, so I put this on repeat." and plowed in with very little expectation of getting anywhere. Next time I look up, it's two hours on, and the complicated task is done. Wow. So whatever you're doing, it's working for me. Thank you. That's awesome. That's the first real, you know, instead of I would change this, or I would change that, or I would change this. That was the first real, I used it, and it worked comment that I got. Yeah, that's really something, dude. That's cool. Gets a good one. All right, hey, I got something interesting today for Better Know Framework, so let's roll the crazy music. Happy. What do you got, buddy? Another side of my brain is published today. This is Connect Tools, and uh, it's on GitHub. If you go to tinyurl.com slash connect tools, K-I-N-E-C-T tools, this is uh, a, a free library that basically wraps up the sample code for um, the uh, body basics and color basics, which are used to show a body, you know, the skeleton stick figure and the color uh, stream. But it goes one step further. Uh, It wraps them in um, components, in classes, basically, so that it, it exposes an image source. And all you really have to do is bind the image source to an image uh, WPF control, and you're done. And if you want to get notified, you know, when every frame happens and you get past the body with all the positions of X, Y, and Z of all the joints, you can do that too. So it greatly simplifies having to do all that goo in your own app. That's cool. Yeah. The coolest part is that there's a color and body viewer which matches up, it, it superimposes the, the stick figure over you, over the skeletons, basically. And so what that does is it allows you to just, with no code, or basically just newing up one of these things and using it as your data source and then binding these uh, two properties to two image controls that are superimposed over each other, and the source is all there, it shows you. Uh, you can just easily set that up. So you've yep. got a a skeleton and your color superimposed and you have control over the, you know, the frames when you get them. And I'll tell you a story. 
There is a multi-source frame viewer mm-hmm. in the SDK and the Connect, and this is Connect for Windows version two. Right. There's a multi-source frame viewer, but it's not all that great. It's not all that performant. Basically, it synchronizes access to um, the you know multiple sources. So you, your I your your IR source, your depth, um, the body, the color. All of these, whenever there's a synchronized event, basically when they're all at the same time, then it fires an event for you. But I got this tip from one of the guys on the SDK team. If you actually just hook the body reader, and when you hook the body reader, you grab the latest color frame, you get faster, better performance. You're only hooking one reader. Nice. Yeah. And so that's exactly what I used, and the frame rate is high. It stays at 30 FPS, and uh, it, it just looks good, and it's low CPU as well. So been, I've been working on this for a while. Also, there's a cool feature where you can superimpose a PNG file of somebody's head over your head. <laughs> this is perhaps the funnest part of it. <laughs> so I have a little PNG file, and it's PNG because it needs to be knocked out on a background, you know, with a with a transparent background. And it just goes right over the head, wherever you are. And if you get closer to the camera, it zooms in a little bit, and you get move back it it stays with you basically it's kind of fun so there, there you go some potential there for some cool apps yeah greatly simplifying connect for windows v2 programming in wpf connect Absolutely. tools okay man who's talking to us today grabbed a comment off of show 943 the one we did with one ms julie lerman uh-huh. we talked about entity framework six yeah and that was back on the 2013 road trip if you recall so that's a while ago. Yep. And uh, this comment comes from Armand Bimitov, who says, Keeping the code-first models and the database administration changes in sync can be cumbersome. But this can also be solved using migration scripts since there is an option to run raw SQL. This way, database schema changes, indice creations, and all, and all of that can be scripted into migration scripts. And we ensure that database changes are version controlled along with all our code. Now it would be more of a challenge to make the database update the migration scripts and making sure he's committing the changes. Uh, I'm with you, Armand, although these days I don't like having DBAs write their change scripts by hand. There are tools for this, you know, SQL Compare, the data tools built into Studio. Right. So we can work out what the new schema modifications should be, whether I get them from your code first changes or I make changes myself, and then basically come up with a current state of schema, point it at an old schema, and it'll generate the script for me. If you want to tinker with it after that, that's fine. But for the most part, the goal here is not to own change scripts. And I wouldn't even say check in change scripts because that's not source, right? That's delta. The source is the schema. That's what you want to have in your, in your, uh, your source repository. And ultimately, the script stuff, that's all easily generated. So thank you so much for your comment, Armand. A Donnet Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a Donnet Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at donnetrocks.com or via any of our mobile apps because we've got them for Windows 8, Windows Phone 7 and 8, Android and iOS. And that brings us to our esteemed guest, Julie Lerman, who Richard was just talking about there. A good old friend of the show as well. Julie is a Microsoft MVP, a mentor and consultant who lives in the hills of Vermont. 
You can find Julie presenting on Entity Framework, Domain-Driven Design, and other topics at user groups and conferences around the world. Julie blogs at thedatafarm.com slash blog, is the author of the highly acclaimed Programming Entity Framework books, the MSDN Magazine Data Points column, and popular software training videos on Pluralsight.com. Follow Julie on Twitter at Julie Lerman. Welcome back, Julie. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Doing great. How's life in Vermont? Did you get socked lately with that uh, polar vortex or did you avoid it? it? Oh, yeah, it got really cold. But yesterday it was 60 something. And right now I'm looking outside and it is sunny out. And oh, I think wonderful. in the 40s. So let's hurry up so I can go out and play. Just <laughs> 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 kidding. <laughs> You're, uh, you, you set off a tweet storm this morning in preparation for this show. What was that all about? Oh, well, you know, anytime you talk about something the least bit controversial, um, today, it was because I, I mentioned that we were going to be talking about Entity Framework 7. Somebody asked me, in response, somebody asked me about the new NoSQL support for Entity Framework 7. So I clarified a little bit of information from him. And another friend on Twitter, Eric Williams, he goes by Moto Williams, said, wait a minute. Why are you going to use an ORM that's for communicating with relational databases to interact with like a document DB where you, you don't have to do that um, transference from graphs and objects yeah, into what is relational there to map? data? Like, what's the point? Right. Right. So um, we just had an interesting and fun conversation about that where a couple other people, even Daryl Miller chimed in. And I love that because, you know, I'm, I often get really focused first on the how, how does it work? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I don't, you know, I love having people make me step back and just, you know, make sure I'm considering the whys also. Right. And, and, you know, I'm not here to defend it. I'm I'm just wanting to make sure that everybody gets the best benefit out of these tools that, that they can and where I can help them. So it was fun. Yeah. We were talking about pros and cons. Yeah, that's awesome. And, Nothing like yeah. stirring the pot first thing in the morning, is it? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm getting, you know, it's funny. I'm getting a little more willing to engage in some of that pot stirring because I yeah. don't know, you guys know me well enough. Sure. I'm, I'm a true Libra, you know, I'm like, why <laughs> can't <worry>. everybody <laughs> just get along all the time? And also I'm one of those people I can like, I can see both sides of an argument. I'm like, sure. yeah, well, on the other hand, you know, so I don't really like doing anything where I have to defend myself right. or defend anything. But I guess maybe as I'm getting a little older, um, I'm I'm feeling a little cockier and (laughs) a little more confident i was wandering around um i was at tech ed in barcelona very lucky to be able to get to go there a few weeks ago or like end of october and i one of the talk i was doing was this kind of crossover of entity framework and ddd which of course may not make sense to some people when you're really, you know, I mean, the whole thing about DDD is don't think about the data or, you know, how or your data access while you're designing your domain, which is fine. But there is a point at which you do have to worry about it. Yeah, at some point, the data matters. 
Yeah. It does. However, another um, important aspect of doing domain-driven design is if you have real sep you know, complete separation, you're going to have a data model that's separate from your domain model. So again, some of those those things that you might be worrying about, you shouldn't have to worry about. Mm -hmm. But I'm, you know, being an even-keeled kind of person, not much of an extremist. I like the idea of if, and oh God, I'm going to get get the poop storm again for this. <laughs> uh, if the domain model happens to just slide into entity framework with, you know, really, you're not really doing much different there. I mean, there's right. like one concession you generally have to make, which is about adding a parameterless constructor and it can be private, right? So it's like, you know, if it just works, like why have to add in the extra effort of having the data layer and the domain layer and the mapping between the two? So there was a couple of people on Twitter who took... Um, offense at this and i'm wandering around i was literally wandering around the streets of barcelona instead of ooing and eyeing about the architecture and also following where the gps was telling me i was supposed to go <laughs> i went in oh my god i went in circles anyway i, I realized i'm sitting there having this argument like really poking the bear you know like right. i was really like really taking a stand for mostly for you know being reasonable yeah. instead of instead of uh, you know following stuff in a kind of a purist way. The purest stuff for me, as far as I'm concerned, it's actually wonderful guidance. But you know, there's a point at which you can also bring your intelligence to the table. Well, the purist uh, in infers that this is it, and it will always be so. Instead of you know considering other sides and as data changes because you know what facts change yeah and yeah. you know having been through that whole alt.net thing in the early days of entity <laughs> framework i've definitely gotten a little more thick-skinned sure <laughs> i'm uh, you, tired <laughs> you spent your time on the firing line you know yeah yeah anyway so, it so was yeah. It wasn't a poop storm this morning on Twitter. It was just I was poking the bear a little bit. That's I, awesome. I, I did I just appreciate that whole sense of instant coffee clutch, you know. Oh yeah. You talk and I talk and talk talk five six people come in, we have a little discussion and it just disperses again. Yeah. Yeah, it's off to their next thing. Yeah. But yeah, it was a fun little the little uh, banter there. Well, speaking of and you just might decide to edit this out anyway. Speaking of poop talk, maybe we want to talk about why I have a toilet paper roll on my desk right now. <laughs> you hear it you only here know. on .NET Rocks, folks. <laughs> Nothing but pure quality technical conversation here. <laughs> Especially about toilet paper rolls. Okay, Julie, I'll bite. Why do you have a toilet paper roll on oh, your desk? Well, we, we were already giggling about this earlier. Yesterday on Twitter, somebody somewhere tweeted... That if you take a selfie through a toilet paper roll, between the the roundness and also some of the little like lighting effects that just happen to like the serendipitous lighting effects, the result is a photo of you that looks like you are the man on the moon, the face in the moon. So <laughs> I was doing that just before I uh, got online with you guys to record yeah, this and tweeted it. It's pretty cool. Funny. Yes, I think everybody needs to go do that now. Yeah, Absolutely. Make see. it real. <laughs> <laughs> Make it a thing. 
I, you know, knowing me, I'd be the guy who blows it up to life's, you know, wall size, puts it on the wall mural or puts it on the ceiling, you know, the bedroom. So when you go to sleep, there's your face in the moon. Well, Carl, you need to do it using either the expression on your face that I'm seeing in your <laughs> Skype window or the expression on your face. This was even better. The expression on your face on the Kickstarter yeah. website. <laughs> your eyes are like popping out of your head. And by the way, um, I I want to chime in and add to what uh, that guy tweeted that you read earlier. Sure. About that, I actually was catching up on emails this morning. I, I tweeted this, too. I, I don't know if you happened to see it. Um, I was catching up on emails and some of those um, updates you've been posting yeah. to, uh, to the contributors that are going out to the, pe- the funders. Is that what you call us? The backers, yeah. Um, the backers. And so it was the first time I was like, I clicked through and listened to that track one. It was the, it was after. The one after you had removed some yeah, voiceover stuff right. or whatever, and I it I, as soon as it started playing, like within like thirty seconds, it hit a spot in me. I could tell because I was like almost welling up. There was just something. Wow! It, and I just lit. I just had it and listened to it like the for the whole thing while I was I wasn't coding, <laughs> but <laughs> it, it was it's beautiful and it really oh, it's soothing. It's really nice. And then a uh, nice next thing that happened was a little later, I was opening my browser up again, and I've got the Chrome settings so that it just opens up whatever, you know, the previous mm-hmm. pages. Mm-hmm. So I was doing something. I opened up Chrome to do something else, and music started up again. And I was oh. like, ah, oh, that's nice. <laughs> well, so, that's yeah, that's a great endorsement. Really, Thank you. Really beautiful. Oh, thanks. I guess we should talk about any new framework now. I hear it supports yeah. NoSQL. It does. <laughs> careful. Careful. Freak people out. So, Nothing good is going to come of this. Yeah. What what we're talking about is what is currently in alpha right now. It's not released or anything. It's currently okay. in alpha, which mm-hmm. is the next version of Entity Frameworks, Entity Framework, which is called Entity Framework 7. Yeah. Which is definitely... Um, um, I think in these early days is is almost it's a little polarizing because there's some people who are like all in, and some people who are a little nervous about some of the decisions that are being made for this next version of any framework. And I was definitely a little, you know, being I was skeptical at the beginning because a little worried about what happens to existing users. And I've thought about it a lot. I've looked at it a lot and I've talked to a lot of people and I've been watching as it's been evolving rapidly over the last six months. And I am now at the point where I'm really comfortable with it, not, you know, mimicking the messaging from Microsoft, but really it's my own honest uh, feelings about Entity Framework. So is this so, a breaking version of Entity Framework? I can't just upgrade from Entity it 6? Is. It is. Wow. So like uh, ASP.NET vNext is a breaking version. Yep. And they're they're kind of, you know, going along. It, it's if they you know, had part to break of the it, same, that same process. Yeah, it's part of that same process. And as a matter of fact, EF7 on GitHub is inside of ASP.NET. So you would go to github.com slash ASP.NET slash entity framework do you think do you think rosalind is one of the reasons why all these things are breaking changes at the same time i i that's uh, 
I don't I don't think so, but I don't know enough about Rosalind to make an educated response to that. Yeah, it just occurs to me because things are being rewritten, you know, using Rosalind. And so if things are going to break, it's better that they all break at the same time, perhaps. Might be the philosophy. With Entity Framework, it wasn't about it being rewritten with Rosalind. It was about that uh, the team has been having a really, really hard time continuing to work with the original code base that, well, I I see it as about, you know, maybe 10 years old. Um, they've made some reference to it being about 15 years old, this okay. code base. So I'm not sure how far back that goes. I know the first time I saw Entity Framework was at a kind of a private meeting. It wasn't even called Entity Framework then. Yeah. Um, in Boston in 2006 at TechEd, when it was just uh, – just coming out of Microsoft Research and Pablo Castro and, you know, a bunch of the ADO.net guys um, had been working it forward. And I think that was even before Link to SQL was known and, and out. Right. So really, really early days. So that was 2006. So that's what, eight, eight years. But anyway... Yeah. Coding was done a lot differently back then, you know. So, and they they've been really limited. They've done so much with um, that code base, and one of the ways that they've been able to enhance Entity Framework was by adding stuff on top of it. All that NuGet stuff, you know, how we got DB Context actually sits on top of the core Entity Framework, mm. and Code First sits on top of that functionality as well. So that's how they've been able to do things, but. They're, you know, stuck with the way things really work internally. And in order to really start moving things forward beyond where they've gotten to with EF6, they were stuck. You know, they were really stuck. And it was just time for a new new base of code. Not a whole new entity framework in terms of, you know, throw away everything you know and you start from scratch, right? They're bringing forward all, all of the common patterns that were most of the common patterns that we're used to working with. So things like, and, and are the, but is there some philosophical changes? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> some, some big things, some big things. So one one of uh, you know, kind of along with uh, aligning with ASP.NET v Next, with how things are really kind of you, you, you instead of taking the whole big thing. You just want to do a little bit. You get right. bits and pieces of what you need. So um, Entity Framework is like that also. It's really um, in smaller, pa- m- many smaller packages of DLLs. Mm-hmm. And then you take just what you need, the combination of what you need for whatever you happen to be working with. So if you're um, using SQLite, which is uh, that's a provider that, they've created now that's also supported. If you're using SQLite, then you don't need all of the framework, all the APIs for SQL Server interaction. Right. Right. So you just grab that. If you're using SQLite, uh, you, it's, you're going to need the APIs that about any framework that understand relational data. Now, sure. since they're going to start, they're starting to support non-relational data, then in those cases, you won't even need that API. Right. So, so you pick and choose what you want. And it's not that you'll have to make a decision about each and every package you need. It's like if you say I'm using SQLite, then it, 
you know, it's nougat. It understands all the dependencies and will bring down all the right stuff. Sure. So, so that's one of the, one of the big things. Um, because of that, um, well, also because of the whole new code base, I, I don't know um, if you recall it with the Entity Framework 6, what they did was they took all of the internal stuff that was part of .NET and extracted it. And Entity Framework 6, actually, the entire API is coming down on NuGet. Okay, so they've actually removed Entity Framework's dependency hmm. uh, on on having EF inside of there. But now with the way they're going, you know, with the whole K project thing and ASP.NET V next, now um, Entity Framework itself no longer has reliance on the full .NET framework. Right. You just download the pieces of .NET that you need. Now, what that means is Entity Framework can now be supported on other devices like Windows Phone, uh, Windows Store apps, mm. any place that Mono runs. Right. Interesting. Right? So, um, so that's enabling scenarios like, for example, on a Windows Phone or, you know, one of these uh, smaller lightweight devices where you want to maybe have some kind of internal storage. You know, maybe you're still connecting to a database in the back end through the web, but maybe you want to just keep, you know, keep some internal storage. People have always been wanting to do that. Now you can use Entity Framework combined with something like SQLite, um, you know, SQL CE, or whatever other lightweight databases people are going to provide yeah. providers for right on on that device. Interesting. Yeah. Because we've always thought of, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, EF has just been about relational databases. I mean, it's an ORM for crying out loud. Yeah. It didn't start out that way, though. It didn't right. start out as being an ORM. ORM was one of its capabilities, but then they ended up focusing on that. I actually had to search on the internet to find an uh, image that I used to use on uh, in my PowerPoints, and I don't have to, I just couldn't even find the PowerPoint anymore. Um, but I, I said, well, everybody always, you know, copies my stuff <laughs> and uses it. I should and be able so to find I this. I found it. I, I did find it, and I, I knew it was my version because I had added some text to it. Like yeah. you know, it was, it was my version of it. Anyway, I got to yeah. reuse that, so that was, that was good. And it was the original vision that Microsoft had for Entity Framework. Originally, they were always talking about connecting to data stores. They weren't saying databases because their idea was, um, you know, back back then, you know, we'd connect to relational databases, maybe an X, maybe XML files, maybe text files, maybe these kind of files. Uh, there were, there, uh, I'm sure there were non-relational databases back back then, but they weren't a big deal like they are now. So that wasn't even in the scope of it. Right. But then eventually they they kind of, you know, focused on the ORM because that's what made sense. And so that so it really just be it became an ORM, but it, even in the early days we were not saying, you know, the messaging was not that it's an ORM, it's just it has capabilities similar to an ORM right. in addition to some of these other plans. So, yeah, so it's interesting now we're getting back to referring to a data store because it's not necessarily going to be a database anymore. Yeah, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just another way of thinking about it. This is really, you know, it's an entity framework. It's about managing entities. Yeah. Where, where those yeah. entities are stored is another aspect, but it's not the only aspect. 
Yeah. Julia, are you worried about feature creep, wanting entity framework to be all things to all people? Is that a concern? No, because I, I think um, even the team already has been really clear that uh, that's not what they're trying to do. Um, for example, relational databases and non-relational databases are just very, 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 very different. So really, they're not trying to mask that or kind of magically make those differences go away. You'll have relational database capabilities like the, you know, that really good ORM stuff that any framework's been so good at for, um, you know, and it's so much better at even now with EF6, right? Just like so for relational, it will really be packed with features. For the non-relational stuff, really all it's going to do is give you give you kind of that high level capability of being able to write link queries and, right. and get objects back and not have to worry about how to uh how even just to get the data in and out but in terms of but we have linked to objects yeah <laughs> yeah but but I'm just saying it'll it'll make you know make that connection you just have that same similar experience that we have with entity framework right now for queer let's just say Talk about querying. So that ha similar experience of executing a link query, and then the provider will take care of um, making the correct, um, se well, SQL or whatever language you use to, you know, however you're going to query right. against that uh, non-relational database and execute the query and bring back and materialize the objects Right, even mm. if they happen to be the same shape, because that you know that's the kind of the obvious thing people are saying. Well, why the heck do you need the ORM for interacting with objects and graphs that you can just stuff in without having to reshape? Right. right? So maybe you're not reshaping them, but so I see I see a couple of benefits, and I I am going to be learning a lot more f about. Uh, non-relational and you know so I'm really interested in yeah. kind of this back and forth of you know it doesn't make sense or why it makes sense I think first benefit for somebody like me it's just going to be a bridge right like I can go to NoSQL I still have a lot to learn but I, I already have a mechanism for getting data in and getting data out mm. now I, I'm not saying code first is not going to go and make that no, relational data, non-relational database for me, mm -hmm. like document DB, so that you know it's not like all of the things. It's not magically going to be, uh, you know, just anything you've ever done in any framework against relational database. You'll do with NoSQL. Yeah, and I, I want to be careful. It's not just NoSQL. So so it it's um, non-relational. So one of the other cool things besides what they've got already as providers that the Entity Framework team has created for us to start working with. Um, we've got a provider for working with um, Azure Table Storage, and I've played with that. <laughs> it's, just, it's just cool. It's like, oh, good. Now, because Azure Table Storage, you can use um, the OData querying mm. API for that. But hey. now I don't have to add that in. Hey, Julie, hold that thought, because Richard, you know what time it is now? Ah, uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, time to spray my face with mashed potatoes and take a real toilet paper roll selfie. <laughs> you gotta look like the man on the moon. That's just wrong. Oh, what? Cottage cheese? Is that better? Yeah, cottage cheese. What What did he, what did they use? What is that? Uh, Lune de Claire? The, the, uh, the, one of the first movies ever? Claire de Lune? 
Claire de Lune. Right. There you go. Yeah, the man on the moon. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe sandblasting? I don't know. <laughs> then it'd be a red moon. It's kind of gross. It's actually time to give away a D experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you today's winner, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Victor Hermanson. Congratulations, Victor. I'll clap for you, sir. Victor was picked at random from the uh, fan club list, and he just won a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express, a big pile of awesome from them. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we like to give away sponsor stuff, like the D-Experience subscription. And every December, coming right up, we like to give away $5,000 worth of stuff to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. $5,000 worth of technology stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of toilet paper rolls. It's a lot of toilet paper rolls, <laughs> which could be considered technology. Yeah. Ancient technology, but technology nonetheless. But Julie, if you had five grand to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Well, I still haven't gotten that 3D printer I Said last time. Yeah. <laughs> so you can know, they, I keep that in? I, I, I would love to have. I would love to have a three D printer, but the, I, I, my feeling is that they're changing so fast and getting so much better so fast and cheaper. It just kind of pays to wait if you're not needing to build anything right now. Speaking of that, when it comes to three D printers Uh-oh. and spending five thousand dollars, <laughs> there is an Indiegogo on right now for a product called Sintracheck. Which huh. is a desktop laser sintering 3D printer. And what is that, pray tell? So rather than you tra- traditional, what we know as 3D printers and microbots and so forth are drip plastic ones. Yeah. So they basically take an ad- a modified uh, style of inkjet printer to drip small dots of plastic to make their, their products. Yeah. In laser sintering, they use a powder. And use lasers to fuse that powder one oh. dot at a time. So the resolution can be substantially higher. It all depends on the granularity of the powder. Now, they, we've seen a laser sintering printer in action at Elon Musk shop and at SpaceX, where they're actually building parts of their spacecraft using it because it can make really light parts. But this particular one, the Sintratech, which is about 5000 bucks. Uh, would use a powdered plastic, a resin. Okay, so it's Wait, plastic, Wait, are you not saying metal. you went there? Oh, yeah, we you- went to SpaceX. You did? We got the That's tour. A, oh, is that like a $5,000 tool, that tour? That's what I would get. No, it was a, f- <laughs> it was a free tour. <laughs> but it's you have to know somebody. It's not for the public. Or yeah. pay them $5,000. Well, who knows? Well. <laughs> I dare you something to put on eBay. Looking for someone I can pay five grand to take me to tour space. Yeah, it was fun. Oh, wait a minute. Doesn't, um, don't, doesn't Julie and David Yak's son work there? I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're you're right. Brilliant, brilliant kid. Well, there you go. Got hmm. Scooped up. 
But um, you want to spend five grand? Here's one way to do it. One in one go too. A, a next generation five thousand um, dollar three D printer. Now, is the plastic stronger than your typical three D printer plastic? Or yes, it's a different kind of plastic. They don't have to stick with the softer plastic, so it can be quite rigid. Mm. Although you can you can also make very thin items, mm. so it can be flexible as well. But the biggest advantage of laser sintering because it's so precise is you can actually make articulated parts. So one of their classic demonstrations is making a crescent wrench, you know, the kind with the little worm gear that has a jaw open and close. Yeah. In traditional 3D printing, you would make those as separate pieces. Hmm. In this, you would actually be able to build that pre-assembled. Now, if they can do that with graphene, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Graphene's a little more complicated. Yeah, but wouldn't that but, be But, you know, great? you could literally make a plastic bearing race, you know, metal ring with an outer metal ring with the little balls inside. Right. As one piece. So if you could get it to work with this, then you could t- send that data over to a metal laser centering machine, which is, you know, a, a quarter million dollar machine and make it out of metal. Yeah. Fun. Well, there you go, Julie. Something to look forward to. Gadgets. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> guys are so, you guys are so far ahead of me with all that stuff. I mean, is it like the idea of a 3D printer that's like so 2012 now anyway isn't it i want to go like, right to star Trek wanting replicator. that to be on your list yeah well i don't i i just i'm still waiting to do the you know for them to do the beam me up thing yeah tired of traveling <laughs> yeah i want to be places i yeah, just get, don't get there. sick of well all the problems getting stuck at airports and yeah all that nonsense oh god yeah <laughs> and then there's the airlines well, that yeah, that's that's part of it. I mean, I I, I want to say, you know, first world problem, right? We are sure. so lucky we are. to be able to do the traveling that we do. Yes, so. we are. Anyway. So, listening to this new version of Entity Framework makes me think: Is this the new ODBC? No, no, Ooh. no, because well. No, I don't think so, because ODBC really did just mask everything that was going, you know, made everything the same. Right. Right. I want a common expression language to retrieve data and and write data to to and from any source, bind it neatly to my objects. I don't care about the underlying providers. That to me seems very ODBC. I guess what you're saying is, is this the ultimate abstraction of data, right? Richard, that's another way. That makes me nervous. Um, That just makes me nervous going there because one of the important things is uh so okay so for the basics of getting data and getting out getting data in and getting data out you know that is going to be that is abstracted also to at least azure table storage so when i'm making like a link query you know it'll feel like the same i i can make the same kind of queries and when i'm you know, I can call safe changes. I mean, there's certainly going to be lots of areas where things work too differently that, you you know, the API has to provide a different mechanism for doing it or the API just doesn't go there, right? So right. But for some of this basic simple stuff, you can just use that common thing. It's just ODBC, it just... Um, 
you know, was even more vanilla than even Entity Framework ever has been with the different databases, the relational databases it supported through the providers. But they do, you know, they have, uh, in order to create a provider for EF, there was this canonical stuff that you had to support, right? And, right. and so it'll be the same thing. It's just going to be, you know, it's going to be a much narrower, like the what's common, the, the common denominator, lowest common denominators, right, between relational databases and NoSQL will be supported. And then going to another level will we'll be back in the place of the lowest common denominator between relational databases. That'll have to be supported. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I think making a reference to ODBC I just I'm not ready to go there. <laughs> <laughs> or to or to defend having agreed with you on that. <laughs> right. But you also bring up another interesting aspect of VF in general, especially I think in this new version, which is very cloud savvy. Oh yeah. Uh, that was really kind of the next place for them to be able to go. I mean, it was one of the interesting conversations that happened today um was with I mentioned Eric Williams brought up, well, if I'm going to interact with a non-relational database, I can just do that through HTTP, right? Like right. why why have all these layers in there? So, you know, my, my first response was, well, I don't, I don't do all of my programming through HTTP, you know, I, right. I am usually working on bigger systems. So, um, you know, I might be HTTP to a web API, but then the web, web API is doing much more, um, uh, low-level interaction through, you know, through APIs to the database or something like that. And that, yeah, the, that's always the challenge here with the cost of abstraction is, you know, is it, is this actually buying me anything or, what is, or more relevantly, what is it costing me in terms of performance? But, you know, has this always been the truth with Entity Framework? Everything is great up, right up until it isn't. Right up until till EF writes an ugly query. Yeah, the problem with all abstractions, right? But, you know, what's the definition of an ugly query, right? Who's deciding that? I will I don't I am not so expert in T-SQL or, you know, O-SQL or any of those to be able to look at a query beyond oh, that's got a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's long. Right? There's a lot of code there. But I don't know how, for example, SQL Server interprets it because there's something that might look horrible to me and SQL Server just goes, oh, I can just optimize blah, 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 and it's like right. nothing, right? Yeah, so, that, that is an interesting aspect of all this. And I remember, how many years ago was that? You and Oren sitting together and oh, building that. Sweden. Uh, that, I have such a soft spot for him. He's a big teddy bear. He's a he smart, is, but, smart teddy bear. That was but, at the Bishop's Arms in Malmo, Sweden. We were having a good time. Yeah. I think I was playing guitar well, you guys, for a bunch of people. You guys were having a, one, a, a loud good time up front, and he and I were in the back. Doing real was, work. It was great. Well, I was mostly just sitting there, and every once in a while he'd ask me a question, and I would stop and think about it before I opened my mouth to answer you like, oh, I, I know. <laughs> and then he'd just be on his way. <laughs> so I was just a little more of a muse. <laughs> yeah. So what but was it? It, it resulted was... in the Entity Framework Profiler. Yep. That's yep. right. And do you still use that? Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. I mean, there's other there's other options. Um, but I I... I like that a lot because of the type of detail it gives me. It actually breaks it down. Uh, the information it gives you breaks it down 
context instance by context instance. So they can really see what was going on in a different context. Um, I mean, there's other ways of seeing the sequel, right? But I, I like that view of it. But also, Entity Framework 6 now has, um, you know, this is one of the things, like ES7 is just going to take this even further. But Entity Framework 6, they did manage to um, open up the API a lot more and make a build in a lot of extensibility points. One of the places they focused on was command and response interception. So command interception queries as as well as, you know, as that's a command, right? And also uh, results. So you can actually intercept the commands as they're going in, not just the the literal actual SQL commands. You can even say, no, I don't want to intercept it at that point. I want to intercept the command when the command tree is being built, right? You, like all, there's a couple of different layers, levels at which you can intercept it. So you can go in there and build your own logger, but they also built a more of a lightweight logger. It takes advantage of the interceptors, but you don't have to go through that, right? You can do that to do something a little more customized. But once you have a context instance, you can just say, you know, my context.database.log and then point to um, how you want that to be logged, whether, you know, out to the console or debug or to a file or whatever. Really, right. that's a simplistic one, but you can even go into the interceptor and tie it into other APIs that do logging. And that, that's an interesting aspect of all this when you deal with any abstraction is can you get a sense of what's going on under the hood? Yeah. In a non-intrusive way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the early the early days, it was um, you know we you could just kind of do it at runtime by tapping into the object context, and it was just it was it just it was all they had, but it it was pretty ugly. <laughs> now <laughs> now we've got you know uh, external like third party stuff like Glimpse, right? Yep. Um, Love front- Glimpse. Yeah. Yeah, but but that's uh, I don't want to. Um, I mean, it's mostly for ASP.NET stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. Was, yeah you could, let me you clarify. Could. I love Glimpse for the view it gives me of what's happening on browsers. Yeah, yeah. Well, on the webs, when you're in a browser, you can also it gives you a view of what's happening on the server. That's right. What's really, really cool. So yeah, they've got a lot of EF stuff in there. Um, Franz Buma also did something. You know, Franz is the LLBL Gen guy. Yeah, uh, he has a tool called ORM Profiler. So it now supports it supports Entity Framework also. Um, but you know, if you just want something really, really simple, I mean, I've I use that database log um, with EF six just for like I'm doing quick debugging. There's something that's you know I'm testing something, doing an integration test or whatever, and there's something that I just that's just bugging me, right? You know, there's there's a number of ways I could do it, but man, that's really easy to just go database.log equals console.write, you know, boom. Yeah. It just it just spits it out. And I love showing that when I'm working with clients. I'm like, oh, let's just add that in there. And they're like, holy cannoli. <laughs> <laughs> nice <Not> cat. Quite. <laughs> that's a great cannoli. I, I've got my I've got my reputation to watch out, you know, <laughs> after, especially with the, the whole toilet paper roll. Come on. It's, it's She's safe. always careful where she puts her cannoli. Come on now. <laughs> you guys know the truth. Giggle, giggle, giggle. <laughs> yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> all that, all that stuff that we 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 said before that you said, don't worry, I won't publish that. Yeah, part. you remember that? <laughs> I was. <laughs> 
we'll I was keep, well known we'll keep for doing that. We used that to this show used to be a lot more ribald than it is today. Yeah, let's just say that. And I would always say we, you know, we would go there and in the show, and I'd always say, "Don't worry, we'll edit that out." And never did. <laughs> yeah, but how would we have ever known that Michelle was such a? How would the public have ever known that Michelle Bustamante is such a font of wonderful jokes? Oh yeah, they. Well, you know, that's what happened when you're a bartender. Yeah, yeah. you collect jokes. Yeah, yeah, it's of, inevitable of questionable taste. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, can I, can I also, while we're talking about EF6, just mention my plural site course? Yes, of course. I, I worked so hard on it. I, it finally got published in early November. It's a seven hour course. It's like seven hours and 15 minutes. And it's just a what's new course. So people are like, what the hell? How are you talking seven hours about what's new? Um, but it's because what I did was I got tired of just that list, that hit list. Here are the new things. Boom, 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 boom. And then as I started looking further into them, I realized just reading the quick description, did I, I totally misunderstood what the feature was about. So I really drilled into each of them. So it's a I it's I, I think I, I put into that course what I would have what I almost what I put into in terms of effort, um, uh, what I put into those the big fat books, those eight hundred page books. Wow, sure, that's well, that's awesome. seven hours. That's a lot of work. Oh, hours, <laughs> months. Yeah, yeah it, it's a lot. The, seven hours of finished content. That's a yeah. lot. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm not Scott Allen. I can't just like, you know, I I have a picture of him just being able to turn on the mic and Camtasia and do it. And it's done. I've right. got this insane process. Yeah. So I got a lot of hours into it. Anyway, um, I just it's something I hope will be really valuable to people. And the other thing is, you know, going forward with the EF7, you know, this other question, like, what about all the investment people have made into yeah. learning and being expert with EF6? So again, so much of the most common things that people are using and you know there's the good practices that the entity framework team has been encouraging by doing things like say um you know really don't use that object context anymore for any new development they've been saying that since ef4 since i'm sorry since ef4.1 since the db context came out right so the db context is there but the object context isn't there anymore. And we hmm. once in a while will dip down into the object context to do something really extreme. And usually they've they've really analyzed um, you know, what people are using. And some of that stuff that we would depend on that lower layer to give us some of that IP about what's, you know, about our data or tracking or whatever that's just exposed at a higher level now we have access to it so so the i think the biggest thing that um really worry is worrying a set of users is the fact that ef7 itself won't support edmx and the designer anymore which is you know Really, this there are a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, good, you know, that's so stupid. Everybody should be using code first. But that's really unfair because there's a lot of people who've made an investment in the designer and they have working applications, production applications that depend on the EDMX. So, 
you know, having having thought about that and talked to other people about it, again, you know, first I was like, gosh, you know, what are all those people going to do? But, you know, I realized that the leap from an EDMX to the code that it generates, making that code, changing those templates so that it also generates the rest of what code first needs Right. It's really, I, I, you know, unless I'm misunderstanding something, should not be a deal breaker. And even if Microsoft doesn't do it, the third party providers will do. Uh, you know, Franz reminds us that um, LLBL Gen already supports Entity Framework 6 code first. So he's, uh, you know, so he's got a designer and it will, that, you know, the designer comprehends code first but it gives you the designer experience but gives you you know outputs code first so that you can use the code first apis so he's already got that and he's planning to continue forward with the ef7 as far as i know and i also asked devart because they have a designer that you could actually use in place of the entity framework designer that microsoft creates and i asked them just i wanted to pose it in the most fair way I could just ask them on Twitter, are they considering that? And they, you know, having, uh, having that designer go forward and be able be usable with EF seven. And they said, yes, we are considering it. Right. So no plans, but so, so it, you know, those opportunities will be there. So for the people who are freaking out, they're like, but we've got EDMXs, right. And we've got software. So the other, the other thing is, you may not want to move to EF7. EF6 is going to stay around for a long time. It's going to, you know, kind of be like Link to SQL is still around. Data sets are still around. WinForms are still around, right? right. Um, uh, yeah, it doesn't, should, it's not like EF6 spontaneously combusts no, right. the EF7 ships. Definitely don't bring up Silverlight. Okay, but <laughs> one of the huge advantages that EF6 has is it's already open source. Right. right. So the team is totally committed to it. As a matter of fact, at the same time they've been moving forward quickly with EF7, they've already pushed out two new versions of EF6. Right. So that you know, they're still making tweaks to it and they're still um taking, you know, dealing with the pull requests. And dealing with a pull request is not just like, oh yeah, that looks good, commit, right? I mean, they work really hard at making sure that what's in that pull request is um, of the same quality as, you know, any of what they would put in there, right? right. It really goes through the whole process. So they plan to continue doing that. They just, it just, you know, more of their effort, most, to be fair, most of their effort will be in moving EF forward. So what they're doing with EF7. So it's not like you'll have to upgrade, Right. You don't have to upgrade. And as a matter of fact, if you look on NuGet, you could see every single NuGet package going back to the first version of Entity Framework 4.1 is still there. So there, you know, those things aren't going away. Right. So, you know, I would I would encourage people, you know, if you're still on EF 3.5 and using the object context API, like, you know, you you that those people should not be crying about EF7, right? Because they've not moved anything at all. Right. Um, 
you know, so there will be people who really want to take advantage of some of the new capabilities in EF7. And the other cool thing is with a new core API, they're able to solve some of the problems, some of the other problems, not this new, you know, the, these two big things about being able to be on, you know, Windows phones and and uh, the NoSQL stuff, but they're also solving problems like batch update, you know, that was just too hard to solve before and, and some things like that. But, you know, if you really, really want the new features of EF7, especially the big stuff and, and that capability of having a much lighter weight framework um, to be installed on devices, um, then, you know, you've, you've just got some decisions to make. If You know, like how tied are you to some of the things that won't be coming forward versus uh, your your desire to use some of the new features. The other interesting thing is the first version we're going to see, the first RTM of EF7 is really going to focus on this kind of lightweight and NoSQL experience. And then, uh, and you know, so it'll be really for people who are really, really interested in that stuff, less interested in what they were getting from EF6 and eager to move forward and write new app new applications. I don't know about porting applications, but they also have plans to then start bringing in some of the other things. For example, um, being able to have inheritance in your model, right? So mm -hmm. probably in the first RTM, we're not going to have inheritance capabilities, but for the kinds of uh, applications, they're thinking are going to be kind of the the first bleeding-edge adopters of EF7, that's probably not going to be an issue. So that's kind of how they're deciding what to focus on for that first RTM and what they, you know, what they definitely want to bring in, but they're just putting on a back burner for now. Do you have a timeline for that, Julie? I don't. And it's no. not on, yeah, because I, I, only, I only have what's on, what's on GitHub. <laughs> Right. I, that's you know that that's been for me personally the downside of all this open source stuff. Right. Because now I have to work twice as hard to keep kind of quote unquote ahead of people. There's yeah, no right. there's no ahead of people. It's all public. It's yeah, all wide everybody open. knows. Everybody knows. So if it's they choose just, to read it, they can know. Yeah. Yeah. So you know when I when I've mentioned EF seven on Twitter, or, you know doing a conference talks on it or whatever, people are like, oh my God, EF7's out? I'm like, no, 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 no. It's just like an alpha now. Yeah, it's just the early stages, it. but it's always visible. It's right there on GitHub, yep. With demos you can download and, you know, it's already some some content out there. And people are start. I saw something on Twitter uh, yesterday. Somebody had an article, I don't know if it was on Code Project or something, but, you know, using like the... Uh, next version of ASP.NET MVC with EF7 and, you know, somebody's really playing with kind of all of that together. Yeah, that's what's coming, right? It's same with the over on the VNX side. Like, they're they're taking these alpha bits out for a spin. Yeah. And, you know, well, showing they, things off. So it's going to be really interesting. I mean, obviously fragile. Right. Like, yeah. It ain't production code, but yeah. it just shows what's possible. Yeah, it's a it, brave new world, isn't it? Yeah. So for the demos that I, I did, one of my talks at Dev Intersection last month or earlier this month was on EF7. And what I did was I used code where I also had persisted the version of EF7 
that I knew worked with that code. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't want to take the chance of downloading the nightly, nightly, you know, new nightly package, That's nightly smart. bits, and have it, um, have it, you know, break everything. No surprises. So, <laughs> yeah. So, but, but, you know, I, I, I have no problem with an alpha being that f- volatile, like, yes, yeah. you know, but they want people to look at it. They want people to play with it. They want people to um, give feedback, you know, like, you know, this is important. That's not important. They're not, um, you know, close-minded about that stuff. Right. Right. About, about, you know, this is really important. You should, you should try. And pull requests, right? Play with code, like. Submit a pull request. Try, you know, like go do it. You have an opportunity to help shape the next version. Absolutely. You not only can provide feedback right to the team as they're writing it, you can write some too. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But Mm. EF6 is like that also. But I think, yeah, I think there's, there's just something about GitHub that, you know, maybe makes it even more, feel that way even more than CodePlex. I don't, there's no reason for that to be, but I just think it's a mindset. Maybe. Yeah, it's a style of conversation. It's just a different dynamic there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, guys, I think that's a show. Yeah, you might be right. Julie, yeah. that was awesome. Thanks for sharing. It's always a lot of fun to talk to you guys. And it's nice to have new th- something new to talk about. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I imagine there won't be any lack of that in the coming year. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right, and we'll see you next time, dear listener, on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.